With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With Audiohook.com, you can do just that. Audiohook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. Audiohook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, Audiohook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to audiohook.com to start your journey today. Boom! Bosco's Boys is here. I think we all wanted it, and the marriage is officially official i'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 network bosco's boys the most consistent k-state podcast out there over four years with at least one episode a week bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every wednesday at 7 p.m i'm pumped to be here and i would love it if you guys came over to bosco's boys and gave us a listen because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans. And I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today... We are getting to have a preview with the first of three brand new teams to the Big 12 this year. Candace only gets to play three of oh. them. But, oh, okay. yeah, the other one. <laughs> I was going to say, who, no, who are no, we leaving sorry, out? Sorry, Yeah, so we have, uh, joining us is uh, Garrett McClendick of the Give Em Hell Brigham podcast. Garrett, how you doing today? Dude, I'm good. I'm happy it's Friday. It was a nice, super short week after... I had a five-day weekend and then a three-day work week. It's 
yeah, it's super it's, nice. It's fantastic. It makes it for a hectic, you know, when you get back to work and trying to get stuff done. But oh well, yeah. I, I will take that for the extra time that we got to have off for the fourth holiday. Um, but yeah, so Kansas is only playing three of the teams. They have BYU at home, UCF at home, and then they go on the road to Cincinnati. They played Houston last year down in Houston. Uh, I was not surprised that they did not get the return game this year coming up. So, but Kansas will get to see them as official Big Twelve members coming up soon. But I think most of my listeners are probably somewhat familiar with Houston. We kind of talked about it last year because they had already been announced at that point. But so I just wanted to kind of start by touching base about the BYU program. I am I am LDS, so I have kind of followed BYU. But I know that most oh. of my most of my uh, listeners probably have not really been paying too one much of us BYU. Yeah, exactly. So. I, you know, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't really want to go to KU so much, I might have been out there at BYU, and I'd be having a BYU podcast with somebody. But so BYU as a program, obviously they've been independent for like twelve years, um, at least in football, and then all their other sports out in the West Coast Conference. What was it like preparing for this season, where all of a sudden you're not, you know, you're not playing Gonzaga twice, you're not playing a bunch of those teams in the non-football. And, of course, in football, you have a, a very set schedule that you don't necessarily get to construct on your own. Right. Um, I mean, it's definitely very different. And since the announcement was made uh, in, you know, the 2021 now, right, I guess two years ago since the announcement was made, there's definitely been a, a lot of investment into the program. So at the end of the 2021 season, uh, there was uh, Kalani Satake got a very large contract extension that kind of put him more in line with the kind of mid tier of the uh, of Big Twelve salaries for him and the rest of the staff, and they've really bulked up. You know, they hired, uh, you know, brought in a new defensive, co- an entire new defensive staff this year um, with Jay Hill coming, who was the head coach at Weber State, who since he took over at Weber State in twenty. 14 or 15, you know, they were kind of, he built them from a bottom dweller in the big sky to a perennial top 10 team in the FCS. Um, And so they, you know, he's coming over with a seven figure salary, you know, very, you know, definitely trying to spend to compete with where we're at. And so it was in the West coast conference, it definitely Gonzaga being what they have been for the last decade where they've really turned it on had definitely made it more palatable because you at least had that game. Right. But it was, there were a lot of road games and I've been to some of them where, you know, they're playing in a tiny thing and there's more BYU fans than road fans because they only have like 300 people a game. And it was just not a very boring environment on the road at a lot of those, you know, games, which is, you know, no, that's not the league's fault. Right. It's the, each of the schools, but the league was very helpful to us when we kind of, you know, because the original plan was to go back to the WAC and then that kind of got kiboshed by the Mountain West inviting a bunch of WAC teams to try to kill that. And so it went from, you know, the WCC was very helpful in taking us in when we needed a, a place to land. And, you know, at Gonzaga, we really built up a great rivalry with them in basketball. And who knows, maybe we'll see them in the Big 12. Uh, you know, if those rumors are still floating around, that may hit that that may happen with, you know, Gonzaga and UConn coming as basketball only members. But it definitely is. There's a lot of excitement around the entire program as a whole, um, really the entire athletic department and, you know, building up and not maybe so much in. I think in terms of the non-revenue sports, definitely there's a lot of excitement around baseball um, just because the Big 12 takes baseball very seriously. Um, But, I mean, the West Coast Conference and a lot of the Olympic sports kind of, you know, the smaller 
uh, private schools tend to do well in a lot of those Olympic sports. And so, you know, things like soccer and swimming and track, those things, it, it generally did very well. And it was com- a competitive league. Just most people don't pay attention to those sports. Right. Um, but so it's not like a, as big of a step up there. Um, but the definitely a lot of excitement across the board. Yeah. And, and, and for a lot of those Olympic sports, there's, there's a lot less in terms of overhead to actually get a program up and running and have it run successfully in general, especially since they don't do full scholarships. Um, right. So you do have some money coming in because people have to pay at least some of their tuition, but, but yeah, so it's going to be interesting. I think having BYU and of course the other three schools as well, um, obviously this one year of 14 schools in the conference is a little strange, but you know, I think most people wanted to have a shot at, at Texas and Oklahoma at least once before they before they get out of here. So um, BYU, though, looking at kind of how everything's shaped up in terms of coming over and, and trying to get ready for, you know, the, the Big 12 football schedule, was there any games that really kind of jumped out to you that, like, ones that you're, like, that you're really glad that the conference scheduled or were there, you know, some that is kind of just like it's all Big 12 stuff? Um, I think – the two, obviously, we're the only of the new schools. We're the only one that get to play both Oklahoma and Texas. And we had, you know, Texas made the trip to Provo in 2013. And, uh, you know, we played them, we played them three times in the Independence Era. So we played at Texas in 2011 and 2013. And then they made the trip to Provo in, 20, in, in 2014. And then they made the trip to Provo in 2013. So we um, are getting to go back to Daryl K. Royal one last time. And, and then getting Oklahoma in Provo is definitely a big game. You know, that's going to be on senior night. It's going to be cold, uh, you know, in November and, uh, you know, it'll probably be a night game. So it's going to be even colder. And so that, I think that definitely is a big one just because it, you know, that's once that's a non-conference game, you know, we know SEC schools, they don't go, they don't go West for non-conference games ever. So that's just, that's, again, that's probably, you know, where that's, you know, kind of circled is that's probably not going to happen again. Um, And so I think that was probably, that was the, of the home slate, that was definitely the big one, Um, you know, being able to get a chance at both of those. And hopefully we can, you know, pull off somehow, pull off both of those. I think it's unlikely, but pulling off both of those to send ever, you know, to send them packing, I think it would be awesome if some magical way they went, both of those teams went over in conference, except for when they played each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Send, like that's the that's like, the goal of all of the Big Twelve, right? Is to send right? Texas and Oklahoma. It's like you think out. you're better than us, but yeah. we're going to just send you packing on your way. I mean, obviously not going to happen because that would require a lot of teams to play above their, yes. their their talent level at this point. But I mean, you know, looking at what BYU has, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not super familiar with BYU uh, in terms of the personnel that they have, but but coming into the year, or I should say. Looking at what they did last year, right? Let's like let's let's start with where the program is coming into the Big Twelve. Last year, you know, they beat Baylor um, at home in double overtime. They lost on the road to Oregon, and that kind of torpedoed their chances, I think, to getting to a, a higher end bowl. Um, you know, what what's the feeling around the BYU program coming into this year in terms of how competitive are they going to be? Like, how how do people feel this BYU program is going to perform? Uh, so I think. Overall, and like you said last year, well, with the Oregon loss and kind of the big downside of independence is, you know, it's not 1985 anymore where there's 30 plus independent teams and you kind of largely had a set schedule, even though you're an independent, you're playing the same independent teams every year. Um, You know, we had, oh, if you look over the independent period in, you know, since we took over and I kind of put this out last week that we've played in the last decade, we played more 
t- different teams than any program in any 10 year period in NCAA history. And so, which was really awesome. And that was the trade-off, right? It was, you know, the trade-off of going independent was, yeah, it, it made it a lot harder to get to a bowl game, but we got to play three or four of the, t- you know, if you run the table in the American, you get, you know, to go play LSU, but we were playing LSU, Arkansas, and Tennessee, you know, in the same season kind of thing, right? right? It was, you're trading those big bowl games for regular season for multiple regular season games. But once you did lose that, you know, once you lost that first game, it kind of, you know, once we lost that Oregon game, it just totally deflated the entire season. Cause it's like, well, okay, well now what, you know, it's, you're not, you're limited in bowl tie-ins. We didn't have, you know, we weren't, didn't have the luxury of having, you know, bowl agreements similar to the ACC's deal with uh, Notre Dame to where they had multiple bowls. So it was kind of like, once it was done is we knew exactly where we're going and it was pretty meh. And so it kind of, I think that's definitely a big outlook change where it's, you know, you drop one game that doesn't really matter. You're still in the hunt for, you know, a conference championship. And I think this year you can probably drop two games in the big 12 and still have a shot because I think it's going to be, I think that there's going to be a log jam in the middle with a lot of really good teams. Like there's nobody in the league. Except, oh, I don't think Houston's going to be that good, but it, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of very I can, like, I can point to a few, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like the bulk of the league is going to be, you know, maybe ranked in like the 30 to 60 range where it's like any given Saturday, things can go whatever. And it's not a huge, like it's not a huge drop off. Like you see in the ACC or the PAC 12 where the bottom of the league is just awful. Right. And so it's, everyone is very competitive and can be anyone. So I think that's very exciting in terms of how we're expecting. I think most BYU fans are very optimistic. Uh, I mean, I, Grab FanDuel was still as of a couple of weeks ago was showing four and a half wins on the season, which I would smash the over on that because we're opening up against Sam Houston, who this is their first year moving up from FBS. And yes, they won the spring uh, FCS title in 2021, but they lost everyone after that. And they were not a good program last year or in the fall of 2021. And then, you know, then we're playing, you know, FCS Southern Utah the week after that. So I was like, we got to find three wins out of the conference schedule, which yeah, there's, if everything bounces the wrong way, then yeah, that could definitely happen. But I think, um, you know, I think we can definitely see, and it really just depends. There's a lot of unknowns. So with, in addition to, we've hit the portal hard, like TCU last year levels of hard to where, you know, it really depends like on offense, you know, it, which, which Keaton Slovis do we get? Do we get USC Keaton Slovis? where people were talking about him as a potential first round draft pick and a Heisman candidate, or do we get Pitt Keaton Slovis where the offense is not at all what he thought it was going to be when he came and he does not fit him at all, which I don't think that's going to be the case because we don't have, you know, Pat Narduzzi changing his firing his offensive coordinator after he signed and going and saying, we, we threw the ball too much. It was too much fun. So uh, I think he definitely fits the offense and we've brought in a few receivers. I mean, that was, kind of the biggest question mark was we obviously losing Pukunukua and Gunnar Romney is, is hard to replace them. Um, but we've, we're bringing back a ton of talent to tight end and we brought, got in a bunch of guys on the portal, uh, the offensive line, we've brought in six transfer offensive linemen and it was already not terribly not deep, but there were guys who, you know, were cut loose that you kind of thought like, well, yeah, you're fine. And, you know, being in the two deep, but you won't, but give them a year or two to develop. And they just said, Nope, we're sorry. See you later. And we're going to go out into the portal and get a few, you know, get a couple of guys. And so they went out and kind of were very selective in getting guys that had multiple years of eligibility that got some playing time at a lower level school. And, um, 
and they came in and there's even some of them were coming in or started like they were starting. So there's one, uh, you know, like one I can think of, there's a kid named Jake Eichhorn and he, he transferred in from Weber state. He followed Jay Hill down and from Weber and he started at Weber last year as a freshman. And he's probably going to redshirt this year. And, but he could obviously play. He was an all big sky, like honorable mention last year as a true freshman, right. Play, which means you can obviously, you know, hold your own, but he's okay with not playing this year because, you know, and so there's on the offense line, but defensively, I think that's the biggest question mark. Last year, the defense wasn't good, uh, really at all. And the defense really started to struggle. Very, very, uh, generous. Yeah. There. <laughs> so the, the old defensive staff, um, they really felt strongly in measurables and that they could coach up anybody that they, you know, that didn't, uh, and, you know, maybe stars didn't matter so much and they could coach up anybody. And so we had a lot of guys where, you know, if, if the measurables were the same or they felt like you checked all the boxes on the measurables, it didn't matter if we were the only school that even cared to even talk to you. They, you know, that was it. And there was one point last year, uh, you know, where there was entire series where we're looking at it and we counted them up and we like, there's only one guy on the field who had a, a single other FBS offer, not just like, oh, not even like P five offers, but it's just like eight of these dudes, like four of the guys, we were their only offer, which if you're their only offer, that's a glorified walk-on like that doesn't, you know, right. Like it's, if you're the only school that thought they were good enough, it, it means really... one of two things, right? It's either, either you got a commitment so early and they have like for their entire life have said that you, they want to go to your school and so nobody else even right. tries or yeah, they, they weren't really going to have a shot anywhere else. And you're giving them right. a scholarship to fill it. And then the, yeah, we'd see series where there were like seven guys on the field who were walk-ons or started their careers walk-ons, which obviously no offense to them, you know, but it's just, there's a reason that they were walk-on the same reason that I never played college football. <laughs> and so yeah. they, yeah, um... I, I was going to say, I, I think that is kind of a little bit of a sore subject for like Kansas fans, because you think about, you know, the hero of the win down in Austin, uh, Jared Casey for, for the Jayhawks. Like he was a walk-on that hadn't seen right. the field until like two weeks before. And he was only on the field right. because of other injuries at the tight end. So it's like, right. I, I think there, there's definitely a difference between having a preferred walk-on program that you use to potentially fill depth issues and giving guys that would probably be walk-ons elsewhere scholarships because you don't have any other way to fill them. So, right. And so it was, you know, as the defensive staff, when they first came, uh, you know, they were okay. Um, they had a lot of good years and then it really, the cracks in the program as they, you know, it BYU, it's weird. And obviously, you know, this with missions where there's guys, I mean, last year was the last season. There was one guy on the roster last year, who was actually on the team under Bronco Mendenhall. And like, <laughs> and it, you know, just because it's, yeah. if you go in and, and it's like, he went on a mission, came back, red shirted, got a medical red shirt, then had the COVID year and then had his four other years. So it was like, he had an abnormal career anyway, but then you thought, so by the time, you know, this staff, by the time their players that they had recruited started getting back into the system and kind of, of coming up, it was really towards the tail end of 2021. We really saw that the defensive, you know, the cracks form in the defense. And there were a lot of people that complained in, in 2020 and really starting in 2019 is where it really started to show, but it was like, okay, the team is really young. You know, you can't, when you're the bulk of your starters are underclassmen, you're not really in, you're kind of, you're in games, but the cracks are there. You're kind of like, okay, well we can't, they've had three good years. So we're not going to fire them because of one bad year anyway. And then, especially when they're playing much underclassmen, give it time. And then 2020 happened, you know, and you go 11 and one, 
it doesn't matter how bad your defense is. You're not going to make a coaching staff change when you go 11 and one and right, you're one right. yard away from a perfect season. And then in 2021 is the same thing is that was where there were games. There were a lot of games where the defense was just bad and the offense bailed us out, but it was a similar, it's like, okay, we went 10 and three when you just went 21 and four over your last 25 games it's really hard to pull the trigger and fire someone. And then last year, finally, it was like, okay, it fell apart. And after the Arkansas game, uh, the defensive staff was told that they would not be retained at the end of the season. And there were some internal shakeups and then they were formally let go at the end of the season. Um, and it, it, there was also complicated to what well, was the DV, previous defensive coordinator, you know, was a lifelong friend of Kalani Sitake. They grew up on the same street. They grew up together. I believe like, I mean, they intermarried into each other's families like there was very very close relationship with them that kind of made that difficult where that you know when they grew up on the same in the same apartment complex in Provo together um it definitely yeah. made it, made it hard yeah and so and then you know it was kind of there was it was a kind of a co-dc situation and where the assistant head coach was also you know was the legacy he was a guy who he played under Lavelle and he was the head coach at SUU before he came and now he uh and he ended up taking the, he's the moved on and took the head coaching job at Northern Colorado. So he's back in the FCS ranks. Um, but so that was definitely a big change where it was, the timing just wasn't right. And then now we've got a new defensive staff. That's very excited. Um, you know, led by Jay Hill. And we're, there's a lot of guys that are probably more than half the defensive starters are going to be guys who were came in from the portal this year. So obviously how quickly can they assimilate? It, it's just the crapshoot of not only, it's already you're guessing of, you know, how big of a difference can a coaching staff change make in one off season, but then doubling up on that of, okay, now you're looking at, you know, a, let's see, let me think of who off the top of my head, Jackson Cravens was a starter at Boise and Isaiah Bagna were starters at Boise state who are transferring down. Uh, AJ Bong Chong was a starter at Utah state who was an all mountain West player. And he transferred in, you know, Eddie Heckard and Camden Garrett, Eddie Heckard was an FCS all American who was considering declaring for the draft, but he decided to follow Jay Hill and play for one last year. Camden Garrett started was an all big sky performer as well. We were and followed him down. You had you know, Harrison Taggart, was a four-star linebacker who the previous staff, th- this is the most baffling thing about the previous staff. It was he, I mean, he had offers from everyone in the country, he ended up signing with Oregon and realized once he got there, it wasn't a fit and wanted to transfer back. But even he said that when he was in high school, they would go to campus because he's from Utah, that they would go to campus visits and they just wouldn't even talk to him or that they would give backups on his high school, like tickets to come to games, but he couldn't even get a ticket to the game because from the old defensive stuff, which is very strange, but you know, he transferred in. So that's, you know, yes, he didn't play a bunch of Oregon last year, but also that's Oregon. And he comes back and he's still, he's put on weight and he's still a 240 pound linebacker that runs a 10, 800. And, you know, you can work with that. And so there's uh, you know, so that's, I just list off seven guys who are going to be starters that, you know, how will they come together and what was the injury like? So definitely the overall talent was, but it's, what is that talent? You know, if it's healthy come November, then I think we could look at being seven and five, maybe squeaking out eight and four. If there's a bunch of injuries or they just do not mesh together in this new system that they're all picking at learning, trying to learn on the fly at the same time. Then yeah, four and eight could definitely be much more of much more likely option on the table. So it really just depends on how that all shakes out and, which makes it really exciting, makes for a really exciting season. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's fair to say, um, rather than diving too far into the defense because so much stuff has changed, I think it's fair to say that you guys don't really know what you're going to get from your defense other than yeah. it probably can't be any worse than it was the last few years. Yep. So, yeah. Um, all Definitely. right. So I do want to jump over to the offensive side of the ball and then kind of talk a little bit about the schedule. But, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. 
Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am here with uh, Garrett McClintock of – how do you say your last name? I, I think I – McClintock. Like, McClintock is good. McClintock, either way. McClintock. I thought that's what it was. The movie I, like, in the John it. Lane movie says McClintock. Okay. So, okay, yeah. there we go. So Garrett, Garrett McClintock of the uh, Give Em Hell, Bring em podcast here on the 1012 Podcast Network. Glad to have more of our wonderful hosts across the network joining the show. But uh, we just got done talking about kind of the program itself, the defense – um, going over to the offense, because you, you mentioned about uh, Slovis coming over as a transfer quarterback, but um, you know, offense hasn't really necessarily been an issue for this team the last few years. Obviously, you had games you know, like the game against Baylor where the two defenses kind of showed up for quite a long time, and you had to go, go to two overtimes to get to you know, 25 points on average. But, but for the most part, you know, BYU scored a whole bunch last year. Um, yep. How much of that was kind of the offensive scheme, the way that that's set up, and you expect that to continue? And how much is there potentially concern about, you know, you look at when they when they scored a bunch, you know, it was against teams like Utah Tech and Stanford that struggled mightily last year and, you know, Boise State and some of these other ones that don't necessarily have good defenses. So I guess long-winded way to ask the question is, how do you guys feel about your offense and what kind of offenses are you expecting it to be this year? Uh, I'm expecting very similar performance to last year. Um, obviously, we lost our two senior running backs. Uh, Chris Brooks was a grad transfer last year from Cal, but he finished around 800 yards ish. Um, and we lost Lapina Katoa who'd been a steady, he'd been the steady number two guy since 2018, you know, going on five years. Um, but we brought in Aiden Robbins who originally signed with Louisville out of high school. We were on him and he was close to signing with BYU. Then he transferred to UNLV, put it was an all mountain West pick last year, had over a thousand yards in Vegas and and then he transferred as a grad transfer again. So I think there's definitely in Hinkley where Potty came on strong towards the end of the year last year as well. And so I think at running back and we talked about we were receivers, you know, we brought in three guys in the portal at receivers. So I think the talent is there uh, and, and it's just, you know, will they click with Keaton Slovis? And it seems, uh, you know, this is the type of offense that we're running is very similar to what Keaton Slovis ran as a freshman under Grant Merrill in 2019. And it's, I'm not too worried just because every, every quarterback, that we've seen play under Aaron Roderick since he took over, became the quarterback coach and then was promoted offensive coordinator um, at BYU has played well. And so I'm not, I'm not worried about the development of the quarterback position. And I think, you know, Slovis has the experience and just the overall football understanding just because he's been, you know, he's been around and he's been coached well his entire life, right? Like Kurt Warner was his high school coach. Um, he spent a lot of time with, you know, at the Manning passing Academy and doing all those things. He's uh, you know, Former BYU quarterback John Beck is, you know, a very is a professional uh, quarterbacks coach now, and he works with a lot of NFL guys and a lot of collegiate guys. And you know, in the last few offseason, you know, Keaton Slovis had been working with John Beck, and that was, you know, and that's how he kind of the connection was really built. I mean, John said, "Hey, trust me, like go up to Provo." And so, you know, and that was we'd seen Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall had been working with John in the offseason previous years as well. So it's, I, I think I consider I expect more of the same in the offseason of the offense. I don't expect it to be you know i don't expect it to be like 
USC level offense where USC is going to be winning their games like 56 to 52 every week because they have a deep right where they can hang 50 plus on everyone. But I expect a very a good offense. Um, and I think a lot of it last year was just we had a lot of injuries and uh, you know health was a big issue for us last year, which can happen in any season. And that's where we've really improved the depth this year to where the, those injuries maybe won't be as glaring. Um, but then also just really having, you know, like I said in the beginning, something to play for where it's, there was a lot of, you know, just the mental aspect where the locker room, it seems like wasn't in a very good place last year. Uh, you know, after that Oregon game, when things kind of fell apart, you had uh, a guy who was a starter who played in that game and he basically, he used his four free games and then now transferring and he was you know after that game even though he had nine targets in that game he was complaining about not getting the ball enough and so there were some <laughs> locker room issues that that you know and then he so he big time dust and then transferred to colorado state which was funny uh but yeah um but they so the just having that in you know there were some locker room issues there and kind of when you can tell that one side of the ball is not pulling their weight and that combined with the, okay, well, we've lost a couple games. So now what do we really have to play for? You know, there, there's really this kind of this struggle of, you know, like getting up for games. And then we had a couple of games like the Liberty game where that was an absolute blow. And it was probably one of, that was one of the worst losses really in program history, but you know, where it's that perfect recipe of you're traveling to the East coast and you have, you know, Hugh freeze is a good coach, no matter which way, uh, you look at it and they put that on the calendar is like, this is going to be a program defining game for us. And they showed up and played like it. And we were coming off a few losses and had fired our defensive staff, but they were still coaching because we actually, you I mean, you can't really wholesale file everybody, even though right, you're going right. to, at the end gotta of the season. you still got to have job. somebody there. And right. so it was just this kind of perfect mess of, you know, things are not going. And then it with Jaron Hall, I mean, he, Jaron Hall got hurt and, you know, the, Depth at quarterback is definitely as well. We brought in slowest. We brought in the number one ranked Juco QB as well. Um, and that is a big turn because last year, even Jaron Hall, he had a separated his shoulder and had a sprained shoulder and could barely throw the ball. Oh. And he was basically for the Notre Dame game, he was drugged up and couldn't play like he, because the backup, they just said, we don't trust you at all. Like give him enough, however much cortisone he needs to be able to move his arm somewhat, like let's do it. And so we didn't see him, you know, so the backup quarterback was not trusted at all. And so that was part of it. You're trying to walk around, you know, and you you could even tell the play when it happened. It was against Utah State, which is uh, weirdly is like in the end of the 12 times we played Utah State in Independence, our starting quarterback got hurt like nine out of the 12 times. It was very strange, but the um, or eight out of the 12 times, something that but i mean he he went from throwing the ball deep downfield to the there was a play where he got up gingerly they punted the ball away and then the rest of the game he never threw the ball past the line of scrimmage and then after that it was that was where things really got stagnant and then finally you know one of the big issues that we had with independence and scheduling is that our bye week usually came in november because we were trying to slot our games to get better teams at the beginning of the schedule when we, you know, when everyone's doing their non-conference games, because no one wants to take a break to play a formidable opponent in the middle of their conference season. And so we'd get to where it'd be like, you know, we'd play a garbage FCS team. We'd play our FCS game and have a bye and then play like a bad G5 team and then like one maybe decent team in November. Right. And so whereas, so it kind of, we struggled in the middle of the season when there was all the issues going on with the defensive staff, Jaron Hall's hurt. And then finally it comes around to where, 
okay, we have a bye the second week of November and he can actually rest up. And then it's like, oh, and once he actually got to take a break, hey, guess what? We actually got to, you know, and he wasn't, I mean, there were games that noted the week of the Notre Dame, he didn't even practice the entire week and the backup was not good at all in practice. <laughs> and they said, okay, we'll drug him up and throw him in there because that's our best shot. And so that's kind of what we were working with on offense. Yeah, and I mean, really it, was a, which the, there's not a lot of schools where if you lose your starting quarterback, you're going to end up playing well. So. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I think the big 12 had a lot of that last year. Like yeah. Kansas lost Jalen Daniel for a while, had Jason Bean come in, who was fighting for the starting job, was a good backup on his own and probably could have started for quite a few schools. Um, but, you know, you look at uh, that TCU, you know, their starting yeah, quarterback. Max Duggan was the backup to right. start the year. <laughs> Chan- Chandler Morris got injured in the first game, and Max Duggan was a Heisman was a Heisman candidate. Like, you know, those are very, very rare indeed. But, you know, Texas usually has two quarterbacks. Obviously, like Oklahoma only had uh, had one quarterback last year with, with, uh, with uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking now on the name. I really shouldn't be. But regardless, um, you know, like most of the teams, though, in conference – had a period where at least a two or three game period where they had to use their backup. Oklahoma state had that can't right. benefited from that. So, you know, you get to this level and you need to have a full roster with decent backup at pretty much every position. Um, Want to jump back to the offense really quick, because you did kind of talk about some of the weapons that Slovis will have. Um, but obviously with, uh, you know, with the loss of Brooks, uh, who steps up at the running back position? And then in terms of receivers, whether it's wide or wide receivers or tight ends, who, who are the main targets you're, you're expecting throughout the year for Slovis? Yeah. So, uh, so, so like I mentioned, Aiden Robbins transferred in from UNLV. He will definitely be RB one. Um, and then Hinkley Ropati will be running back two. And then uh, we, Oh, what was his now? You have to put me on the spot. You're talking about Davis? And Davis there's was... also uh, uh, Dion Smith. I was, Dion it Smith, was okay. Dion Smith also transferred in. So Miles Davis was a converted wide receiver. Um, he got some on oh, last year and then got hurt. I didn't even realize and, he was a converted wide receiver. Yeah, that, was, that usually yeah, doesn't and, go well. <laughs> yeah, and so he, I mean, he had redshirted, and so he'd been in the running back room for a while. Um, but he, and he's really just, he had straight line speed, but he lacks the vision for the barrel. So we also took in Deion Smith as a transfer from Colorado who had some run, but was banged up over his time. But he transferred from Colorado like just about everyone else uh, out of Boulder. Yeah. And so those are, those will be the three, but it's definitely Aiden Robbins will be RB1. A receiver, uh, Chase Roberts had an amazing game, over 200 yards rushing last year. He was an Under Armour All-American coming out of high school. Um, but yeah, had a 200-yard game against Baylor last year and then promptly got hurt against Oregon and kind of missed some time. Cody Epps um, was the leading receiver last year. And then he went down uh, against Arkansas with a, uh, he went down with a leg injury and he missed the rest of the season. He actually entered the portal for about 48 hours and then decided to decided to stay. And so those will be the two and he's a smaller slot guy. Um, And then Keanu Hill uh, was the third, has been the third receiver for the last two years. And is kind of like the big body, kind of more of your, uh, kind of more of your F receiver. And then coming back, but then we also brought in, you know, we got UConn's leading receiver transferred in, um, Eastern Michigan's leading receiver transferred in for last year. So there's a couple of G5 guys where great death pieces, uh, they're not going to be like a thousand yard guy that blows the doors off anywhere, but kind of like once you get down to your third or fourth receiver, you they're kind of all the same, right? Like it's unless you have the the top guy that can take some pressure off of them right, and right. demand a double team. Like if you have that guy. Or, which, you, or you have a guy like Jalen Daniels who likes to spread the ball around to seven or eight receivers in a particular game. Right. It, like, yeah. <laughs> right. Then you can, then you can go, right. You can get by with your, you know, with your, 
carbon copy receivers that as long as you can catch the ball and you're not terribly slow, if you run crisp routes, like you can, you know, you're really splitting hairs as long as you're, you're running routes well, and it's, you're good get in a position to win. Right. You know, it's, you yeah. know, what, what guess, about back end? from like, like what is, what so, does your guys offense typically do with tight ends? Cause I know like Kansas likes to get them involved in the, in the passing game. Um, but they also are really good at blocking. Like I, you know, it seems like every single play, either a tight end is catching the the pass, or they're giving a lead block out on the on the perimeter. So, like, yeah. what is so, what is the philosophy for for tight ends typically? We early in Andy in Aaron Roderick's time, we really saw a lot of heavy tight end use. Um, you know, because even before he was promoted offensive coordinator, he was still the passing game coordinator. And right. about the uh, it was the Boise State week in 2019 um, is when he took over passing play calling. So even when Jeff Grimes was at, uh, you know, in 20, for the 2019, 2020, you know, Grimes would decide and if it was a pass play, Aaron Roderick would actually call, um, would actually call the play. And if it was a run play, Grimes was calling it. Um, so they, uh, that we saw a lot of tight end usage there. And in, you know, in 2020 heavy usage, uh, Jaron Hall didn't see the middle of the field nearly as well as Zach Wilson did. And that was like his biggest efficiency as a quarterback was seeing over the middle of the field. Um, and so we saw a little bit of a drop off in 2021. Uh, and then last year, um, it was our starting tight end who's been, this is going to be his fourth year as a starter. Uh, Isaac Rex, he's a big body kid. He actually, you know, he played with, actually played with Sam Darnold in high school. Um, but <laughs> which is just the weirdness of being a BYU, right? Yeah. Um, but he, he, he jacked up his ankle bad in the last game of the regular season in 2021 against USC. And so he, it was, it was a like playing with pins in his foot type of deal last year. And just, he was, had lost a step and it was visible. And so he's, he's finally back fully healthy. Um, and then the next tight end up will be Jackson Bowers. Who's a four-star kid uh, out of Mesa, Arizona, um, who's also coming up. And so that was the tight end is the talent is there. I definitely like to use them in space. Um, I think a lot of BYU fans, because we've historically had a lot of great tight ends Um and not so great receivers now that we've improved the overall receiver depth you know it's we're not splitting the tight end out wide into the slot because we actually have big bodied receivers who are faster than our tight ends are so we don't need to you know use a tight end as a bad fourth receiver to try to in you know feed them the ball um and so there's definitely i'm I don't care so much as long as we're moving the ball around. If as long as we're scoring points and spreading the ball around, I don't care who gets it. But there's definitely some some people who who are like we we have so many great, such a great history of tight ends, and we're not using them nearly enough as we should. Um, but it's definitely there's we've seen an uptick in you know the fourth receiver catching versus using that tight end split out wide. And so, but definitely, I think we will see more just because Slovis is better sees the field better, the middle of the field better. And is more comfortable throwing directly over the middle than Jaron Hollis. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's kind of the big thing that a lot of people, you know, you have a ton of college football fans who are very much old school. It's like, hey, we want to, you know, stick to all the traditions. We want our teams to be as successful now the same ways that they were before. College football is a very fast moving game. I think even more so than the NFL at times where you do a lot of different things. Yeah. And you have to be able to adapt to the roster that you have, to the way that things are set up, like. That, that's, I think, the one thing that I like the most about uh, Lance, Lance Leipold's staff and Andy Kotelnicki specifically is that they are very good at making changes and you know changing things on the fly and really coming up with and molding what they want to do to the players that they have. And so I think that's probably the thing that's most interesting to me about BYU this year is that there's so many new pieces that it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly they can get stuff to gel, 
how everything's going to gel, and if there's going to be any players that get left behind from where they think they should be, and if that causes any problems. Because any time you have a big change, there's there's bound to be at least one person who is upset with the direction of how it changed. And the question is, do they make a problem about it? I don't think like there's there's nobody I can point to on the BYU you know staff or roster or anything that makes me think that that's going to be an issue. But yeah, it, it usually takes some time. Um, so so let's jump over to the schedule and and we'll talk specifically about the Kansas game here. Um, before we get too long winded, but um, you know, obviously you, you guys get to ramp up your schedule like most teams. You know, this is a, a lot different, I think, than what you were talking about. Like most teams that are in a conference have their easier games at the beginning to kind of warm up, or they'll have like one marquee non conference, but two other non conferences you can expect to win most likely. And, and BYU has that starting against Sam, Sam Houston State and then Southern Utah before they go on the road for two big ones. Actually, two opponents that faced each other at the end of last season Arkansas and then Kansas. Um, Kind of looking at that first bit of the schedule, what is it that like jumps out to you about the most important thing during that stretch? Ooh, um, I think the m- most important thing uh, is going starting two and zero. Well, right, right, starting two and zero doesn't necessarily need to be record, but I, I would assume with the first two games, it, it would be. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the first two games, it's really to win comfortably. In, in those first two games. And that's going to tell a lot, right? We had, you know, we had our worst season in 20 years in 2017 and we went finished four and nine. Um, and that we started out the season playing state and it was like, it was a clunker. You know, I think we won like 21 to oh, 10 or something like that. Believe me, but I am like, well aware of clunkers in FCS openers. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, if you're playing like that, then that show you're probably not going to figure it out. And so it's, uh, so I think we'll be able from the jump, you know, if, you know, how good, uh, you know, if this is going to be how, what we can kind of expect after those first two games um, and who's going to be worth something who's not. And then really heading into the season, you know, Arkansas, I mean, they've got KJ Jefferson back um, and that's a road game against an SEC school, which is never fun. It's probably, it's still in September. It's going to be really humid, uh, you know, there in, uh, in Fayetteville. And so I think that will be a big test going into the conference season. Um, and so kind of really seeing like, okay, are, are we dialed in? But we do like, like we mentioned earlier, if we do have the benefit of last year, we lost to Oregon and that was kind of it. But this, it's like, if we drop, this Arkansas game that actually that doesn't really matter at all. And being in like, we could drop the Arkansas game, finish the season 11 and one and still find ourselves like either. Well, we would be in the conference championship game or even potentially in the college football playoff. Right. If we did that. And so it's losing that game doesn't really, uh, you know, doesn't really matter so much. And so I think it's just being able to have that ability to like play loose and not have to, be like, hey, well, everything depends on this week. Because, you know, we cannot blow it being yeah, able to say versus it, we were it, the entire month of September. Right. Yeah. Like it probably feels a whole lot different because last year you had like three big games in the month of September. That if you lost any of them, the season was pretty much like you, you didn't have the you opportunity could. to do what you wanted. Whereas yeah. now, you know, you lose that game against Arkansas. It's not a big deal. If you drop the first, you know, the first conference game against Kansas, it's not the end of the world. Like you have an opportunity to come back. Um but, you know, kind of looking at those two games, which one do you think is a bigger deal, the game at Arkansas or the game at Kansas? Um, I would say the game at Arkansas. I know Kansas being the first Big 12 game is a big deal, um, but it's not 
it's not a home game, so it's not the first Big 12 home game. And a lot of people are, I know a lot of people going to Arkansas game because similar to the Oklahoma game, it's like, when do you get to go on the road to a big time SEC school as a non-conference game? That's not a series that's going to happen. Whereas right. we know that we're going to see Kansas next year at home. And so it's we're like there, the chance to go to Lawrence and see either go to Lawrence or to see the Jayhawks come to Provo is it's going to be an every year thing. And so just having that as kind of the marquee non-conference game. And, you know, that's a kind of game that can set up a table. And if, if we somehow come through, you know, pull off that off to where we're three and O and then, you know, we're three and O and then Cincinnati looks to be down, you know, Kansas is you guys obviously much improved last year and it kind of, but definitely fell off it kind of towards the tail end of the season. And so that, that game can be, uh, you know, if, three and oh that game would probably be considered like a toss-up to where it's like okay if we squeak by arkansas now we can look at be starting off five and oh right and where right. it's we're talking about where we hit the over by the end of september and you know, hey i know how that works too season. because last year kansas hit their over by week three <laughs> so that was yeah fun. and but so yeah. no and I, so yeah right, and like, so it's i think it's setting the table for that conference season of like okay we had our warm-up games now no matter what happens in that arkansas game we could be looking forward to the rest of you know the the next nine games to finish out the season, and we had our two warm up games and we have a solid test. It's not like we're playing like a Vanderbilt or you know or like another low Georgia Tech type school, right? right? Like this is it, it's a solid test to be able to calibrate for the rest of the year. And so I think people that's kind of that's the game that people are looking forward more as our first litmus litmus test. So so I mean I, I think if looking from the outside, if I had to pick one of them to lose. I think the one I would rather lose would be the Arkansas game because it allows yeah. you, you know, you get that head start on conference play. Nobody really expects you to win that game in Arkansas yep. the way that the team, you know, played last year and then and then the way Arkansas kind of and of course it's an SEC team. Everybody thinks SEC teams are the best, but you'll you'll get to enjoy all of the fun Big 12 uh people take about SEC later. Um but you know, kind of looking looking at the, I mean, like Kansas, I think is a it's it's, it's a very intriguing matchup, right? Because you have a Kansas team that has a phenomenal offense. Um, you know, they were they were like num- number nine in offensive efficiency last year, um, bringing basically everybody back, and then a defense that is a lot different than than it was last year. And and kind kind of to your point, you talked about how Kansas fell off. I think there was a couple different things at play. One, there was the injury to Jalen Daniels, and so Jason Bean, while he is a good quarterback. He is not the same kind of quarterback that Jalen Daniels is. Um, and then, you know, teams kind of figured out the way to attack that Kansas defense, which Kansas, their biggest strength on defense last year was that their front seven, they had 12 guys that they could rotate in and out all game long. And so, you know, by the time you got to the fourth quarter, the defense finally wore you down because they had fresh legs and you didn't. And that's where Kansas you know, yeah. performed a whole lot better in the second in the second half doesn't work so well when you go up against like an Oklahoma who can run the hurry up and can run a whole bunch more so that you can't sub. And so like Kansas had that sort of issue last year. A team figured that out, but they're, they're definitely a lot different this year, but just based off of what, you know, like looking at the the matchups for that game, how, how, how concerned are you about what it is that Kansas does, whether it's having the two different quarterbacks that could potentially play, you know, having Devin Neal as a running back, like, is this a game that is going to be, close because you think two offenses are going to go way off or is this a game that's going to depend on how well BYU can slow down Kansas uh both I think it it depends on because I'm not sure right because if there's so much change on the defense I don't know what to expect I think I think the defense is going to be much more improved than what you know if you look at like SP plus or FBI right there's 
it's so hard. I mean, it already was hard to do preseason predictions using like, you know, any kind of model without being in the nitty gritty of, cause you don't know every single school and getting in the weeds with every single school. And then when you're in the weeds with your own school, you kind of, you have the, the goggles on and you want to see it in a good light. And so we and, got the, and that's so why I like to do these previews because you know your school better than I could ever possibly do from the outside. Right. So I, that can allow me to kind of inform my opinions about how this game is going to go. Right. But uh, it, either way, it looks like it's going to be a whole lot of fun. I guess the real, yeah. like, Coming into that game, what is the one thing that you're looking for to happen in that game other than a win? Like, what's the thing that you need to see from that game to feel good about BYU's chances the rest of the year? Um, if we can keep the quarterbacks bottled up, then I will feel good. Like, this defense, like, it is... Good luck, but can, yes, I agree. <laughs> yes, good luck. Like, it's it, if we semi-bottled up, right? Like, if right, we keep right. them on, under, like, 350 total yards, right? Like, you know, if it's, like, threw for 240 and ran for another 70, like, that's whatever. That's fine. And so it's, you know, if we can keep them decently bottled up, then then that shows that the defense, like, it's it's working. Like, the proof of concept has been tested. It's working. We can play against different styles, you know, and we'll probably know after facing KJ Jefferson the week before how how well we're going to be able to do that. I was saying, um, Ar- but Arkansas the, is very much a pound it down your throat and then hit you over the top. Yeah. Whereas Kansas, and that's, Kansas is completely different. It'll be very interesting, yeah. I think, to see. And that, so, that and so we, um, and so we, that was definitely, you know, running the ball. We really, especially struggling to run last year. So I think. That will be it. And so I actually just looked up. So a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, talking to some friends and I said, wins week one and week two, leaning a win, uh, Cincinnati and Iowa State. I have Kansas and West Virginia's toss-ups, Tech and OSU leaning losses, and then likely lost, more likely to lose Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and TCU. So I think, I mean, it, depends because even that was before i guess this was a while ago this is before i mean because who knows what you're getting in oklahoma state like the it, oh, you know, with how the portal was for them i find TCU, it, i find it so weird that oklahoma state got a uh a first place vote in the media poll like that just and, and that's so really the whole that's really like the whole league because there have been so many teams that have been so active in the portal i'm just like i have no idea like could it all come together the way it did for tcu last year where they took like 12 starter 12 of their 22 starters came from the portal or whatever yeah or could it be a major flop? Then yeah, that also could be it. So it's like, we just yeah. don't know. And I think there's so many toss-ups in that middle. You know, I think, yeah, like Kansas, Oklahoma State, Tech is going to be better than Oklahoma State. And I am I think they're going to be have a good year. Like I, uh, Iowa State, to you, like that middle, though, and then like us, then you even not, but like look at UCF. There's the, you look at those middle, like six teams in the conference and it's, Someone's gonna. Some of them is gonna. Someone's gonna end up going eight and four, and someone's gonna end up going and being like the best five five and seven team in the country, and somehow missing a bowl. But it's there's a logjam right there. But I mean, like if if we got to the end of the year and you told me that there was you know six teams tied for third place or something like that, because not be surprised at all. Right? Like I wouldn't be shocked at all. Like that would. I honestly think that's much more likely than someone winning the conference by two games. Like yeah, (laughs) or I should say having the best record by two games. Um, I mean. Thankfully, I think for for BYU, you get a team like Cincinnati early before they can kind of figure things out with their new coach. You get a yep. team like Iowa State late where if things are going to fall apart like a lot of people think that they are, they're going to fall apart spectacularly. Um, you know, and we get because, them on we get them at home in November. Right. So. At home, well, 
at home in November is not that big of a difference compared to For what them. Iowa State is yeah. uh, in, in November. Right. Like, like if you went to Ames in November, it's probably not that much different than it is out in uh, Provo. So this is true. Um, so unfortunately, like that, that, that helps with somebody like Oklahoma, um, but not really Iowa State. I, I still remember the cleat gate game where Kansas lost a game spectacularly because they didn't pack the right cleats for the icy conditions. Um, so oh, yeah, gosh. it's not. Yeah. I mean, we do have the ele- the elevation though. It's only like four thousand feet higher. That's fair. That's Provo fair. Ele- elevation is a big difference, and and I think that's one thing that kind of makes it. I think a lot more interesting is anyone that comes to Provo is not used to playing at that elevation. So that that in of itself, it, I think, gives you some possibilities, some opportunities. Um, but it will be interesting, I think, to see how much of that actually plays in. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about covers it. Um, any, anything else that, that you think people should know about BYU before we get out of here? Ooh, um, it's a great place to go watch a game. Uh, there's something, I mean, we definitely in the independence era, we played a ton of night games just as ESPN needed to fill that late slot. And there's something about, you know, there's something about Lavelle Edwards Stadium and under the lights. It's just, it's a magic moment. And so it's definitely a great place to come watch a game. And uh, we, I mean, we have our 10 percenters of idiot fans like every other fan base, but uh, we're mostly pretty nice. So give us, follow us, hang out with us. It's talk to us on the Twitter machine and uh, we'll try to treat you well. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure hoping that both of these teams are good next year so that when Kansas comes to visit, it's a a, a night game and I'll just come out there. I I have family that lives out in the area. So I would, I would love to be able to come out there and cover a game out there. So especially at night, but all right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Garrett, where, where can everybody find your stuff online? Yeah. So you can find out our newsletter, all our information. You can go to give them com and uh, come find us there or on Twitter at give them help pod. And so we've got every, everything up, you know, everything up on there. We don't, we only have like one or two non BYU fans on our discord, but if you want to join us, you can join us there, but, or, you know, find give them help, Brigham, wherever your, wherever your podcast is found. And, or we also, if you want more specific BYU content, uh, my co-host Jeff Hansen, he does his daily dose over on YouTube. That's specific BYU. And then I'm starting up a similar channel of doing like five minute long, just general college football news. So that'll be under GFB awesome. Express. I'm actually recording my first video this afternoon. So oh, have fun with that. All right. Yes. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe. You get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network covering all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Now we can say there's 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, not not future. So, But uh, 1012network.com have all the great shows over there. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much. And Garrett, thank you so much for joining me. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Mm-hmm.